to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water, Earth Human Mission. I'm Sharon Kleina. This is an international radio talk show worldwide discussing water. Earth's human mission is, have you noticed that in the universe, Earth has the water? Can we save lives? Come listen, because we will with this talk show. We are the only radio talk show dedicated to life-threatening water wars, the global water and health crisis, interviews with global research leaders and health and environment people that are dedicated to the mission. And you'll tell by, you can tell by their tone of voice, this is a life-saving show. Leaders from all over the world have come together on this show to help me report and educate you about dehydration diseases, water access and sanitation, women and children and water. Now, the Earth Human Mission is this show. Let's join together and think about it. Come and listen, and you will learn what we can do on this planet Earth and make the most environmental issue and money to be spent, stimulus, foundation money, grant money, the issue and the crisis of water. And it is a crisis. There is no excuse for this. Scientists all over the world are saying, that water is in fresh water is a crisis, and did you know that more uh, fresh water species are dying quicker than any other species in the world? This is a challenge for us all. We are responsible as a human life on this earth to make sure that we understand what we must do. Did you know that in in our world today that women get up in the morning out? in different countries and do nothing but carry the water with their daughters. They don't, little girls don't get to go to school. And the woman carries that water, goes off, brings back the water to the family to live. Did you know that a child goes and buys in a little baggie, plastic baggie, buys a little bit of water? Where did they get the 10 cents to buy it? I needed to tell you also about today about the National Geographic had an issue that I absolutely have bought many of them given away about water. And it says in National Geographic, a special issue, water, our thirsty world. And you'll go to different pages and notice on one page, on page 45, a little baby swimming in water, a baby. And it took my attention because I had already been learning learning in my research that when you're in the mother's womb and the pocket of water, and you're swimming in there, and then all of a sudden you come to dry air, you are dehydrating without the water around you. But you must have that fluid of moisture in the air. So always remember that humidity keeps you alive, but no two eyes are alike, no two skins on the complexion alike, no two fingerprints alike. What are we doing? We're dehydrating. You will learn from this show today, this is probably going to be one of our favorite shows because there are two guests coming on today that are absolutely going to help us learn. Pretend like you're in the classroom, in the laboratory, and you're going to learn so you can go out and you can be a storyteller and, and be in research to learn more and be an educator. Today our two special guests are Eliza Barclay. She's in Washington, D.C., and she's a writer for who covers health and environmental issues and children, and drinking bottled water. This is going to be a very exciting show with her. Our second guest, I'm very excited, is Dr. Colin Campbell. I've heard he's from New York. He's a Ph.D. I've heard so much about the book, The China Study. I want you to hear that, The China Study, a startling new research developed evaluations, learning. There should be a new age diet. And that is going to be an exciting new development for you to learn. We're going to listen to our sponsor, uh, Nature's Tears I Mist. 100% water to mist. The surface of your eyes are 99% natural water. Nature's Tears I Mist is that product to mist 
with all natural, no preservatives, no chemicals, no saline, with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Eliza. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Eliza, are you with us? Yes, I am. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. You are, indeed. Good. Thank you. And thank you for coming today. You're in a very exciting uh, job. Uh, you have a very exciting job and a very life-saving. Um, I have been studying water for way over 30 years and uh, determined 30 years ago that it would be a crisis if we didn't take it serious. And, and Eliza, I was one of the few people out there running around saying it was serious because of dehydration of the body and I noticed that the earth is having uh, challenges, and, the, and I'd been studying the fresh water of the earth, and I was very concerned about uh, people, and people were not taking it serious, and we have people that became billionaires on the environment, but it, we never get to hear the crisis of water in that billion dollars that they made. I want you to tell me today a little bit about you and that your concerns about what you've been learning about water. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, <clears throat> as you mentioned, yes, I'm a, I'm a writer in, in Washington, D.C. I, I write about health and environmental issues, and I contribute to National Geographic News, which is uh, the online division of National, National Geographic. And um, one story that I wrote recently, which was particularly interesting on, on water issues, was about bottled water and children. And there's some interesting tension between the environmental and the health communities around the, around the issue of bottled water because uh, the environmental community basically says that we need to be, uh, we need to stop drinking so much bottled water. There's a huge environmental impact from the production of bottled water. We are draining aquifers, groundwater aquifers that are quite precious to fill bottled water, we are, and that also requires quite a bit of energy, uh, both to um, produce that water and, and also to produce the plastic bottles that, uh, that we're using. And uh, then there's the question of recycling those plastic bottles. So um, there's a number of environmentalists, a number of environmental groups that are increasingly coming out against bottled water. On the other hand, we have members of the, the public health community who are saying that bottled water is not such a bad option in the face of other alternatives. Um, tap water in this country, while in, in most places is very high quality, uh, in, in some places is, is still um, contaminated by lead in some of our oldest cities and in some schools, in fact. Uh, there, there are still lead contamination problems. So, in, so the health community is saying maybe children should be drinking water, bottled water, excuse me, in places where lead contamination is still an issue. 
And then the nutrition community is also saying perhaps bottled water is a better alternative than sugary beverages like Coca-Cola or sugary juices. So there's sort of an interesting tension here between these two, all these three communities around the question of bottled water. Well, let's start out with what had you learned about, let's, uh, and I, I always say this is a classroom and you are a professor today. And I've been studying water for 30 years. And, and Eliza, I'm one of those people, the reason I chose to have a radio talk show called The Power of Water. And years ago, people said, oh my gosh, that might, I'm sure people are going to be interested in listening. Um, I found that people are interested. And I had been a guest speaker all over the United States, other parts of the world, t national television, and I could go on and on, schools and so on. Mm -hmm. People are fascinated about how important it is because it isn't being, it isn't the news. You know what we find, Eliza, thanks to what you're doing, but people are only, get fascinated because the news made a big story out of it. Can you and I make a big story out of the fact that without the water, there is no life? And the fact that dehydration diseases are because we're not drinking enough water. Aquifers are still holding a lot of water. The ocean's getting, coming up, but fresh water's becoming endangered. Um, when you decided to get involved in this, what was your mission? What, did you, what startled you? What was your little push button that made you, for you to decide there's, some, there's a story here that should be told? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I guess um, bottled water has interested me because I see it, you know, we see it increasingly everywhere in cities. It's, it's sold on every, in every store and every street corner. And you start to see those bottles, those plastic bottles piling up too. And, and you start to wonder, you know, where are they going? And, and also, should we really have to buy our water? I mean, water is free. And fortunately, in this country, our public water supply is pretty good. It's um, quite high quality. And so I think that there's a question here about whether we, we should be buying our water out of bottles and, and whether there are companies that are making a lot of money off this. And if, if this is right, um, have we been persuaded to, to buy water when, and, and believe that it's better quality when our tap water is just fine? So I think that that's, that's something I started to notice because everybody finds themselves uh, in need of buying bottled water every now and then, whether you're at a somewhere in the, at a sports stadium, for example, in the summer and it's very hot or you're just walking around, bottled water is handy, it's portable, but there is an environmental cost to that. And, and if you start to wonder about it and start to research it, you find that indeed, yes, there, is, there are a lot of concerns around water. I'm going to ask water. you, what did you learn in your research that made um, that statement of people saying somebody is making money at providing the jobs to make the plastic, to make the bottles, uh, to recycle those bottles, and there's a concern of maybe somebody just wanting to make money or uh, the fact that there may be a chemical in the plastic that maybe needed to be understood. Um, where I'm coming from is I believe, Eliza, and let's think about it for a moment, Mm -hmm. people have to drink more water than they were drinking. They have to. They've got to get out of bed and begin the day with water. Everybody, every scientist, everybody all over the world in research has said, we're not drinking enough water. Uh, what is stress? Those 50 trillion cells are not getting enough oxygen and water. Um, they're becoming toxic, toxic. What is a disease if, it gets, if your cells get too toxic? Um, we try to encourage 8 to 10 glasses of water a day. Um, what do you do to get people to be encouraged to find it convenient? Because people, Eliza, want convenience. Um, and they're walking around carrying the water to drink for convenience to be able sure they're drinking water. And, and you know, when it's like I had a very, very exciting doctor on here. Dr. Effie Chow, a very, very well-known doctor all over the world. And she said, you, people are drinking pop. They're drinking Mountain Dew. They're drinking all these things. But would you take a bath in that? No, you've got to be drinking water. So what did you learn along the way to try to get people to encourage those 8 to 10 glasses of water a day? You mentioned the pipes. 
yes, you're right about the lead. It's serious. And the, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the pipe, every time you go to turn on the faucet, the hydraulic of the water comes up and picks up anything that was left in the pipe after it, you turned it off. And there's, there's things to learn for all of us, to learn and educate. And you're the writer. You can be the storyteller for us. Uh, my talk show will be the news reporting around the world because uh, this is a world talk show. But what did you learn about? Now, you t- learned a lot about kids. And we want our children to be drinking water from birth. What have you learned about children and water? Well, um, one of the more interesting things that I found surprising was um, that, in fact, the, the drinking water in, in our schools is not as, perhaps not as safe as we think it is. Uh, the Associated Press did a fascinating investigation in September of 2009, and they found that the drinking water in schools in 27 states is contaminated with lead and other toxic substances generally from pipes that were that were soldered with lead, and these are quite old pipes, right, that were installed before 1985. All of the pipes that we install, have installed since then, of course, do not have lead. But in some of these old cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, even my hometown of Washington, D.C., we still have some of these old pipes um, in, that are connecting, to the, connecting the school to the water main that have not yet been replaced. Um, and I think all these cities are working to replace these old pipes, but there, there were a lot of pipes, and they haven't gotten around to it in some places. So unfortunately, um, lead is still uh, flaking off of these pipes and making its way into drinking water fountains. In, in and the schools. other thing, too, uh, that we've done a little study, and they've been studying out there, is even the new plastic pipes. You know, it can't it be what collects in those plastic pipes. Now, I don't want the world to be afraid. What are we going to do as as educators to get them to drink water? What did you learn? What is the way to get these kids and people to drink water, not soda pop, not a juice and water, but to drink enough water a day? What did you learn? Were there some uh, secrets out there that you learned? Well, I think on this particular issue of lead, I, I interviewed uh, a man named uh, Mark Edwards, who is uh, an engineer at Virginia Tech, and he's one of the top experts on the lead in, in school water problem. And he suggests that um, you know, school districts need to be encouraged to, to, do, to replace some of these uh, pipe systems. And then there's also some simpler options, like putting filters on taps to remove lead. So those are not very expensive. It's easier than, um, than replacing all the pipes. Or also, you can flush the water fountains um, if, say, on a Monday morning to make sure you get the lead out of the pipes. Um, and then I think. For on that other issue of, of the sugar, you know, uh, sugary beverages in schools, that a lot of schools just don't have enough water fountains or uh, water options available to kids. So I think that you know, promoting water in schools, if if lead is a problem, then maybe bottled water is a temporary solution. But just promoting water as a beverage for kids in schools is important. But you know, even if you had lots of water fountains. Um, um, when I was young, they used to have what they called, uh, I'm 68 years old, almost 69. I remember way back in time, Eliza, they used to have a moment break out of class, and you go have a drink of water at the fountain. How much mm-hmm. water can you drink at the fountain? Not much. I'm not sure. I'm not you sure. Can't, you can't drink very much water standing there, leaning over, trying to get it in your mouth, suck it in at a fountain. That's why I was studying through the years that water out of the bottles is exciting because people were more encouraged to drink more water during the day because of the word convenience, proactiveness. And my concern, but you did create a lot of jobs, which is what you just said. You said create more safe water in the schools. Can you imagine what a stimulus program would do to create jobs, to try to create more healthier water to drink in schools and all the schools that, and the universities and the colleges and maybe even go into the government buildings and all the buildings that are available um, to try to provide safe water? Yeah, it would be, it would be interesting. Can you imagine? We just, did a, we just did a business model of no end of jobs. 
Yeah. Um, what, tell me about, uh, you were studying, I've noticed a lot of that you've done for the National Geographic. Uh, now, have you stuck to the water, or uh, have you gone into different countries concerning water, or has it been just in the United States? Um, well, I've, I'm actually working on a, a water story about uh, China right now, mm -hmm. um, but I have written a, a few different stories for that water series that we've been doing. We've been We've had a, a global water series for. Uh, oh, I a few is that that National Geographic? Yes, yes. I uh, had no end of people call me on it, and <laughs> and I apologize, National Geographic. I did not have the issue coming, and and somebody called me on it, and I said, really? And and uh, Eliza, I'm one of the most boring people you'll ever meet. I want to talk about water, and and uh, the world knows it. And uh, I went, huh. So I called my newsstand and I said, do you have that water issue yet? And he said, well, we will on a particular day. And the National Geographic's coming in. I went in and I went, oh, my gosh. And Eliza, I bought half of them on the stand. I got to the car and I said to my husband, I've got to do it. I went back and bought them all. And then I apologized to the newsstand. They said, oh, no, we'll get some more. And then I called the National Geographic and bought a bunch more. And I want you to know, I applaud the excitement of saving lives because, like I've said, Eliza, in the universe, Earth has the water. And that's all, we've had NASA on here. We've had United Nations. We've had no end of backgrounds of extraordinary people like yourself and the dedication to health and life, nutrition, and more. But that issue took my heart. And there was one particular part in there about the women and the water. Mm -hmm. And it was exciting because of what it did to say um, the burden of thirst. Remember that one? Mm -hmm. And it says the burden of thirst. If the millions of women who have, for the millions of women who haul water long distance had a faucet by their door, whole societies could be transferred, I would say, saved. And I've had uh, people on here, authorities, that know about those women well. We've had World Vi uh, Vision on here, uh, Living Waters on here. We've had heads of uh, huge backgrounds. And every but they're walking with broken necks. They're walking with broken ankles. But they're going to take care of their families. The little girls are not going to school because they need to help mother make sure they have water for the day. So when you go into China and study water, what do you think you're going to be discovering? Well, uh, China is facing pretty severe long-term water shortages, uh, especially compared to the United States. It's a, it's a pretty arid country, and of course, they have one-fifth of the world's population, 1.3 billion people. So water is a very big issue there. Um, and one of the things is that you have a very different climates in the north and the southern parts of the country. The southern part of the country is quite humid and wet, and there's quite a lot of precipitation. What is the temperature there right now, Eliza? Uh, in I know in it, Japan they're actually, having 130 degrees. It's it's a uh, it's in the 90s in most cities on most uh, of the. So it's 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 summer and it's quite hot, yes. <laughs> um, and in some parts it's very humid, and some parts it's dry and hot. Uh, but the northern part of the country, where say cities like Beijing are, is is more arid. But you still have very high population and many cities growing in that region. So and, a, and, the, and the pollution is something. I I just I can uh, when I recognize the pollution. I was in Japan recently and. And the clouds, you could tell, were influenced because of coming from China, the winds. And I was in South Korea. And, and uh, so you can imagine uh, our, the people there uh, that are, you know, that are experiencing. Uh, and, of course, that has to influence the waters, of course, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so one of the things they're, they're talking about doing in China, actually they've already begun, is moving huge quantities of water from the southern part that does get a lot of precipitation to the north. This is a massive engineering project. And it's quite controversial because it will they may have to relocate people 
uh, and they already have probably resettle people in order to to create you know dams and other big sorts of engineering features. Now, is that the water. one that's being also controversial, that it may cut off some of the, ri the river that's going into India? Uh, that's a different project. That's another there, there project. Are, yes, there are many big rivers in China, and, and um, they're, they are building dams and diverting many of them. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think that that's the that's a, I can't remember the name of that river, but yes, I'm, I know that one. And that's, a, so that's we've only got other. about two minutes left for this segment, okay. and you are a very important lady, and I really appreciate what you are doing. And how would you what would you say to our audience about um, your topic today? You wanted to discuss the drinking water for children and uh, the bottled water. What do you think you've been learning in your evaluations that people should want to learn more about? Well, I think that um, what in my interviews with different experts on on this topic, I think that the bottom line is, you know, we need high quality, free, of plentiful tap water for everyone, and that includes people in the developing world as well. You know, bottled water may be convenient; it may be um, necessary in some situations. For example, in a school that has lead problems, it's a, it's a temporary solution, but um, overall, we, we need to improve our um, public water utilities and make sure that they are clean and safe and accessible for our Okay, we're out of time, but I think your statement about the idea of going into all these buildings and learning how to filter and, and c providing a filter system so people mm -hmm. can drink all the water they want that they know is safe. That was a good, I really uh, thought that was a great idea. I'd like to have you on again and to hear more about what you're writing and what you're doing. You are a missioner, doing a mission work as far as I'm concerned, and keep up the good work. And uh, if you ever have a topic that you would like to discuss before we've called you, you give us a call. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, today. you have a nice day, and thank you again for your time. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We learned a lot. And water is the most important part of your life. And without it, there is no life. And how do you detoxify? We detoxify with drinking plenty of water and to fight our diseases. So think about what you would like to add to this with your thinking and your studies. We're going to take a moment from our sponsor, and we're going to be back with Dr. Colin Campbell, and we're going to discuss what I'm saying is the new age of energy, your nutrition. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the only method of moisturizing the surface of the eye with 100% natural water because the surface of your eye is 99% all natural water. Well, listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dr. Campbell. World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Campbell is not available at this moment. He may be able to come on. Uh, we're having a technical problem. And we had Eliza on Barclay. And uh, we were learning a lot about uh, 
what, I, what the Power of Water radio talk show is about is worldwide we're in a water crisis. And the school systems, she had made a report that they had, the research had proven that in the United States, the schools are in a water crisis. In my research, when I ran into that some time ago, it's the pipes. And the idea of stimulating new jobs and new environmental health concerns of how to do a, a new, and let's say inventing new ideas for the economy, maybe we could decide to go after the environmental cause problems of crisis of water and bring it to education, learn more about how do we filter in our homes, how do we filter in all buildings, and as like Eliza Barclay said, maybe we could get away from carrying around the water that's been brought up from the earth into the bottles for you to carry around as much as you could do, you actually fill up a bottle and carry it around from your own tap. So that's a thought. And uh, here again, it, the world has a crisis. And, and like right now in Japan, they're having 130 degree weather. In parts of Asia, 135 degree weather is going on. Sand is there. And way back in time, when the world became sand in parts of our desert conditions, there was once a Garden of Eden. There were once canals. There were rivers and streams. We did not learn what we are learning now. Could I blame way back in time while they were learning to survive and they didn't understand the storms and the earthquakes and the tornado? Things that happen today were happening way back in time. An ice age, did they understand how to grow a garden when the climate wasn't suitable? There was a lot of learning. We are still learning. Um, I would say to the world, when anybody sits in front of me and I hear them say how much they've learned, how much they know, I always like to hear people say how much we can learn because can you learn enough? We're living with the earth. And how are we going to learn to live with the earth? As we learn to live with the earth and you are living with the earth, when you get up in the morning and you decide, we're living with the earth as a guest, all of us, which is so exciting, learn together. Let's learn together. Dr. Campbell, are you with us now? Yes, I am. Well, Sorry thank you, and we'll have you again someday because we just lost five minutes of your precious moment. I'm sorry. I want to thank you for joining me today because I have a doctor in this country, Dr. Philip Payton, who's ophthalmologist, surgeon. He used to be uh, at Cornell as a professor, by the way, and he was given your book by a patient over a year ago, and he is your fan. He oh. came, we were talking about the China study. He has bought many of them. I have bought a lot of them to give away. And um, the other doctor, uh, Esselstyn's book. And I want the world to hear, you are famous. <laughs> and I know how hard you've worked to put this book together called The China Study. Now let's find out from you why you decided. Now I want the world to know you're a PhD and this was an intrigue of yours for a long time, but you chose to decide what we should be, our nutrition habits should be to live with this earth. And I will tell you what I'm thinking. We are at a new age. We need to learn that the energy is what you're eating also. See, you tell us why you chose to make the China study a very important topic of a revolution of a new book. Well, it started a long time ago, as you probably know. Um, when I was, went to graduate school at Cornell University uh, to do my doctorate, and uh, I, I worked on a research project for my doctorate, that was intended to promote the consumption of animal-based foods, especially animal protein. Uh, that was consistent with my personal background because I'd been raised on a farm and milking cows and so forth. And so um, after that, finishing that degree and spending a bit of time at MIT, eventually shortly thereafter was a professor at Virginia, Virginia Tech for 10 years, then came back to Cornell 
where I spent the rest of my years. And during that time, um, starting with that idea that, you know, protein is so important, I then got involved in the Philippines uh, with a project that we had there attempted to help uh, malnourished and starving children get a little better nutrition, if you will. And so when I went there, I thought, you know, as did my senior colleague, that making sure they got enough protein was, uh, was essential. And so everything was falling in line with what I had first learned and thought. But then uh, I eventually uh, learned about, I also had an interest in cancer, by the way, and was setting up a laboratory in Manila to look at a particular kind of cancer and, and, and the situation there. But I, I learned, uh, half as, as, a, as it were, in a rather um, fortuitous manner, I learned that uh, protein was connected with cancer in a way that was exactly opposite of what I would have thought. Uh, that is to say, higher protein intake. Okay, let's back up for a second. So, uh, let's pretend like this show is a classroom of educa- uh, very highly intelligent people wanting to learn right. this. Okay. Now, um, you found that in your original life of what you had been learning and, and you were influenced by protein, it was a very important nutrient to you. And then you went into Cornell, um, got your Ph.D., and began to study, and you were also studying more about protein. Then you bumped into a new theory that maybe there's something in the protein that isn't right that we need to learn. And you know something, doctor, that word cancer, way back in time, I'm almost 69 years old. I've been in research for 30 years with water and dehydration. I need I was president of the American Cancer Society, had the largest Keynes against cancer. We uh, norm at symposiums and so on, and we were out to say we're going to do with cancer like they did with polio and other diseases. We're going to find a way to cure this when a person is diagnosed. And we've come very f- slow. So what you're telling us that you bumped into a new idea that might be, n- needs to be studied, and tell us again, you believe that the protein that we've been consuming could have an influence. Yes, that is protein consumed and consumed in excess of what we need. I mean, protein is an essential nutrient, as you well know, and the amount that we need is just, it turns out it's just about the amount that is provided by a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, I like to describe it as about eight to ten percent of total calories, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out the majority, the vast majority of people are consuming much more than ten percent. They're going from ten up to about twenty to twenty-five percent. And it's in that region, you know, above the amount that we need where the mischief starts. Now, when we're talking about protein, you know, most of the audience is intelligent and is highly educated or whoever they may be. The first thing they're going to think of, Dr. Campbell, is steak. Of course. uh, Hamburger. Right. Fish, chicken, even liver. Um, uh, whatever, but you're ta- when you're talking protein, what, do you, wh- what is your description of protein? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. Ever since it was first discovered in 1839, to be exact, uh, people tended to equate protein with meat or animal foods. One, one, you know, they're synonymous in a sense. And during the late 1800s, early 1900s, it was then discovered that what plants have protein too. But then there, this idea emerged that now, animal. Now, just say it. Let's tell the audience again. Plants have protein also, yes. too. Okay, go they, forward. They sure, they sure do. They have protein as well. But that kind of got pushed in the background to some extent because then animal protein was called high quality because it was efficiently used. Well, you do you think it's because of the flavor. Those nerve yeah, endings and the tongue love the taste of it. Right. Well, that flavor, you know, uh, is a kind of an adaptive response. We can change our preferences. Yes, we that. can. But anyway, that way back in time, Doctor, remember, they invented the frying pan and other yeah. things in Greece. And <laughs> that, that's right. They did. And <laughs> anyway, so we, uh, we could. I, I want to get as much of you in today as I can because this is an exciting new discovery. Now, uh, plants audience have protein too. So he's right. Dr. Campbell's going to teach us something here. Yeah, protein have. Pro, I mean, plants have protein, and they have enough. If we mix and match plants, you know, the leaves and the stems and the seeds and so forth and so on, like they said, vegetables and fruits and so forth. The amount of protein on average that's present in plants is somewhere around 10, 11, 12% or so, just without even thinking about it. That's about the level. And it turns out that that's the level we need. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. accidental, I think. 
Mm-hmm. And so what we have done, you know, over the last uh, couple of centuries or more, is we start adding on top of that animal-based food and described as protein. And so all of a sudden we're consuming really an excess amount of protein, and we're consuming the wrong kind. We're mm-hmm. consuming the wrong kind. So animal. So you're not food. saying get rid of protein. You're saying no. that no, we must learn the true protein that will digest in, in, in our bodies. You know, we have 50 trillion cells that have to digest all that. That's right. And you're learning that the protein in, that we must be learning that is in, in, in really important to maintain our body health is the whole plant. That's right. Source. Exactly, exactly. And, and in that process, by the way, we, not only do we get a better protein in a sense, we also get all the other good stuff that comes along with plants. Uh, you know, all the antioxidants and all the complex carbohydrates and so forth. So that whole package uh, we've learned uh, is extraordinarily valuable for our health. And so what started out Can with I me... Can I ask you what, when you were studying way back, the original human species, what did they eat way back at the beginning? Oh, were they you know, eating... That's, I have to say, I'm, I'm not a paleontologist or an archaeologist. No, 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 no. What, did you bump into anything? Was it the point? Yeah. Uh, because they didn't yeah. know how to use a frying pan or a barbecue. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I read stuff like other people do, too, but I've, I've yeah, thought just... about it. Uh, you know, uh, one of the more interesting phenomena that has appeared recently is that we're homo sapiens, if you will. Yeah, yes, we are. Presumably coming from mid-Africa or somewhere in that territory, even that people mm-hmm. argue about that sometimes. But... You know, we are homo sapiens, but then there was another sort of version of the humans called the Neanderthals. Yes. That lived in Europe, and it's really interesting. And they lived in uh, trees. They, yes, and, and caves and so forth, and they, right. they actually uh, were hunters, uh, probably more so than mm-hmm. were the homo sapiens. And now it's been shown uh, with some of our genetics uh, friends that as the homo sapiens moved north and uh, sort of uh, ran into the Neanderthals in a sense, uh, they did uh, cross genes. They did trade genes a bit. And uh, eventually the Neanderthals died out for some strange reason about 30,000, 40,000 years ago is my understanding of, the, of that research. No, no one knows for sure why, but they, they, according to much of what I've read, uh, tended to be much more the meat eaters than the Homo sapiens were. Oh, okay. And then, you know, isn't it curious? I mean, I hate to even suggest this, that, you know, that I believe it. I'm only suggesting it. Or just theorizing. Well, you know, the, uh, we still have some Neanderthal genes in our bodies. It is obvious. We, yes, we, because I mean, we're some prone of our to instincts and craving to the protein yeah. that maybe isn't nature to uh, the, our better to health. Yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of throwing that. I probably shouldn't. Well, say you know, this. Dr. Campbell, um, you are tapping onto a life-saving future here. I have said number one. Follow me is something that needs to be uh, studied. The moment you, when you were in the mother's womb, you were in a pocket of water. You entered into the air you breathe. You became dehydrated. We're not studying the dehydration from the moment the baby was born through the baby's life. Tell me of one instrument that that tested the baby's dehydration the moment they became dry. Then they begin to have nourishment. I call it nutrition. When I go shopping, I call it I'm going nutrition shopping. What you've tapped on, Dr. Campbell, and audience, I want you to listen to this carefully. We are living in a new age of learning. There is better education to learn. He, Dr. Campbell has been learning with his people about how you should be eating the way we're living on this planet today. Now, Doctor, tell us about you tapped into the proteins and the carbohydrates and the calories and the minerals and all the electrolytic substances that are important to our daily digestive digestive system of those molecules. I'm a believer, like many are, in the evaluation that those cells are too toxin. You've been learning that the new plant life, I mean the new plant studies, that if they got into a whole plant diet a day, now, when you get up in the morning, what do you? What would you suggest a person to eat right off the bat to start that new day, the new age of learning? How well, do you eat? You know, I'm, I'm also kind of a graduate of my old old ways, in a sense. So, uh, uh, but we, uh, for me, uh, we have I have cereal, perhaps, um, 
that uh, is, if I have any uh, uh, cold cereal, I'll, I'll use that as kind of one of these muesli kind of things that my wife puts together, a mixture of different kinds of grains. And She makes up like a moustache? Yeah, I mean, yeah. raisins and stuff like that, and maybe some nuts. Um, you know, I have that. Maybe, uh, you know, I might, if I want a, a milk-like substance, I use rice milk or soy milk, or I don't use soy milk much, but rice what milk. What about uh, the green pineapple milk? Uh, the, I Never mean, p- pineapple water, the green pineapple water. Never tried it. In fact, I've never heard of it. Yeah, uh, the green pineapple, I'm, I'm, I am so sorry, the green coconut, I apologize, the oh, green oh, coconut oh, okay. water uh, from the yeah. green coconut before it matures. Right, right. Well, that, uh, I have heard of that, uh, And but I, uh, other than, you know, being in the jungle with some of at times, where you know that isn't, and drinking coconut milk, uh, mm-hmm. I haven't used it on my cereal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I could. I, I guess it's in the stores, so I hear this. But now, me. but what it, what it's what it, would it be? What you would find healthy for you? I mean, in this new age diet that we're talking about. Yeah, I uh, right. But there's any of these uh, various kinds of plant-based. Uh, milk-like substances, you know, I, I don't use cow's milk. Right. Keep away from yeah. cow's milk. Yeah, absolutely, even though I was raised on a dairy farm and it took me right. many years to... So now uh, in your morning cereal, you've got all a lot of different nutrients and, and you plan that out. Now, do you and your family and your teaching get up in the morning, plan your diet that day, or you plan your diet for the week? I don't plan it hardly at all. I just Okay, do. you take it as <laughs> so, you go. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just accustomed to having uh, either cold or, or hot cereal. My wife uh, prepares a, a, a oatmeal, if you will, and mm-hmm. uh, we always put fresh fruit either on the cold or the hot cereal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we either that. In, in the summertime, we live in an area where we pick a lot of fruit. Uh, mm-hmm. In the wintertime, we'll, we might have that fruit in the frozen form. You can bring it out, mm-hmm. you know, we'll let it uh, thaw out a bit. and So we use it that way. She might put a little bit of maple syrup on it to... Not much. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then sometimes she makes a really nice pancake without oil, I should say. No oil, no mm-hmm. fat. Um, you know, with uh, some dried fruits, you know, in the pancakes themselves. It's delicious. And then sort of you just sort of uh, put, uh, ladle some, uh, lots of fruit. She calls it fruit syrup. She cooks them up a little bit, puts that on top of the pancake. Man, it's delicious. We've had now, that is the most important meal of the day. Now, what would you consider a person have for lunch? And then let's go to dinner. We only have about three minutes left. Oh, salad for lunch, pretty much. Um, Salads with fresh whole foods. That's right. It's all whole foods. And, and of course, as far as sauce. Now, what would you use as a salad dressing? Because we're well, all she, spoiled it, with our little plant, our dressing. Yeah, plant-based again. Um, plant-based. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different kinds, and she makes her own, uh, mm-hmm. too. And so we'll have that at lunchtime, maybe with a starchy food, like maybe rice or potatoes, perhaps. Now, in rice, would you, you recommend, I read, um, brown rice? Yeah, exactly. Stay yeah. away from white rice. Any kind of grain, in fact, we use in the whole okay. form, like okay. whole wheat, whole grain, okay. and so forth. In the evening, then, we'll have, you know, early, I should say. Early in the day, we don't eat late. We eat uh, early in the evening, and uh, we'll have, um, you know, the 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 uh, finish it off with the with the regular meal. Mm-hmm. And she has all kinds of um, you know dishes. Most families will have in the neighborhood. You probably know seven, eight, nine, ten or so uh, different kinds of uh, menus that they'll be attracted to, and they kind of rotate through those, you know, that number of menus. Mm-hmm. And so sure. Um, now, when you say you have a regular meal, I want you to tell me what you think a regular meal is. We've well, only got one meal. minute left, and I've got to have you back on. Okay, regular meal is all plant-based. You know, all fresh plant-based. Fruits, vegetables, especially when it's cooked with mostly uh, vegetables. Uh-huh. You know, whole grains. All fresh. Uh, and uh, no fat. No, no oil. We don't, we, don't, we, we don't add any oil or fat or... or or so, real quickly, what do you add for a seasoning for that taste on that tongue? <laughs> that we're so spoiled. Oh, she, you know, some some different kinds of. Uh, it depends on what it is, but uh, you know, some of the spices and things like that to kind of spice herbs it up. And, say that, right? uh-huh. yeah, herbs and you know. Okay, we only have no time left. That we're going to. I hope I can get my program director Polly 
Featherton to call you and do this again. I lost five minutes here, but I want to get into this. I believe we're in a new age. We need to learn how to eat. And I agree with you. I think there should be more study about the dehydration of those cells, how to tox, uh, digest those cells, how to get rid of that toxin by cleaning them out with, with whole food. And uh, people need to learn. We're living with this earth. We're living in an era. Let's, let's get smarter. Listen front to you. And uh, we will have you on again. Well, I want to you thank you for joining us. And everybody, there is a book out called The China Study, Dr. Colin Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. And you will learn a lot. And there is a lot in the food you eat. It's called Nutrition for Life. It's the energy of your life. Doctor, thank you for being with us. Thank you. You have a nice day. Dr. Campbell has come up with what I'm calling a new age idea to think about and, and, and begin to eat better. We're eating too much sugar, way too much sugar. You wonder why you're under stress and your anxieties and you can't comprehend and all of these dis- things that are happening to us. And we get up in the morning and we think, oh my gosh, I've got to begin this emotional day. Well, what is a day? Solve your obstacles, work with the day. There is so much to learn. This is why this show is so exciting to me. And sometimes I'll say to my audience after I've had these special, wonderful guests, wow, what can we learn about living on the most beautiful place in the solar system, the planet Earth? Earth does have a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment, like you are on Earth's human mission. But Earth does have a secret, I've learned. Don't say goodbye because you are on a mission. You'll be left behind with a legacy and be immortal. Leave something behind for us all to learn. Let's be educators. I want to thank you for listening. Have a nice day, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.